Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What Comics Podcast at Savage Critics website. This is episode 94, recorded at the beginning of San Diego Comic Con by two guys who didn't go. Nonetheless, Graham McMillan and I have plenty of things to talk about, and I highly recommend you check out the show notes over at SavageCritic.com to discover the complete list for yourself. But I will tell you that after a long half-hour chat about how to make it on the front page of Time.com and what in the world is the appeal of Michael Bay, we do get around to talking about comics. With a tag team review of Double Barrel Number 2 available digitally from Top Shelf, I talk about reading three weeks of Shonen Jump Alpha all in one go, and Graham covers Dark Avengers 177, Wild Children, The Lovely Horrible Stuff by Eddie Campbell, Action Comics Number 11, Infernal Man Thing Number 1, and Punk Rock Jesus. Tie it all up in a bow with a long talk about the career of Greg Rucka, add in a dash of gossip about the unannounced at the time before Sandman Project, and you have yourselves the making of another podcast that tips in at just around two hours and ten minutes. You'll have plenty of time to savor it, fortunately, because we're taking next week off, but do keep an ear open for us two weeks from now with Wait What? Episode 95. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan. Welcome to the basement one more time. It's the summer, which means I stay in the basement. It's it's weird, but I, I think I kind of like it. Well, I, you know, I'm sure it has its advantages, such as you're not broiling out of your eyeballs, right? That is always a plus. The fact that I am not panting on the ground, <laughs> overwhelmed by heat, is, is nice. I now, would, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, if I was in San Diego, I could be doing that as well. So. That is true, that you would also be sweating tons. Now, I, I have to admit, I realized I'm not altogether clear on the basement concept. I always assumed you were down here for just the podcasting. Thing. I am just down here for the podcasting. Okay. I do the rest of my work. This, this is going to sound incredibly luxurious. On the front porch, I've got a sort of home away from home set up just outside the front door on the front porch. It's a lovely, you know, it's a really nice day. I get to see all the passing by. It's, yeah, it's very nice. Right. Well, I, you know, I, I think I speak for all of us when I say, God damn you to hell, because that sounds amazing. It's uh, it's really nice. I'm yeah. not going to lie. It's really really pleasant. And to the point where on Tuesday, I think it mm-hmm. was it it was a nice day, but it wasn't a great day. It was a little bit overcast, right. and so I was working back in my office for the first time in a couple of weeks, and I honestly had this moment of, it's not the same. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly. It's not the same when I'm in my office with a really comfy chair. I, I like being outside with more daylight and hearing all the craziness of the, the streets as it goes past. But um, there you go. Yeah, the craziness of the street in your case is usually bicyclists. Like no, 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 not during the day. I mean, don't go wrong. There are a fair amount of bicyclists, but it's normally people walking past and you hear snatches of conversations that are just spectacular. Oh, I believe that, yes. So that that's that's the fun part of working at the front. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. Now, uh, so when you wrote the piece that got you on the front page of Time's homepage. Were that, you... that would be the front page of Time.com. Not only that, Jeff, the lead story yes. on the front page of Time.com. Indeed, Graham oh, McMillan. I, I, so I, I didn't say this on social media because I didn't want to get my editor in trouble, but I'll say, say it here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, got told that, I got told that I was the lead story on Time.com mm-hmm. in an email from my editor. Mm-hmm. And my editor at time is spectacular. I mean, genuinely just a great editor, but also a lot of fun as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so her email actually included socket, health, investment, finance, tech, and she's listed all the other areas of time. Your editor is great, I have to say. I thought that I really like that. I really like that she was just like, yeah, that's right. We're on the front page. <laughs> Very excellent. So did you write most of that story indoors, outdoors? Outdoors. minds want to know. So you did. You wrote it outdoors. Yeah. Well, you're like, well, of course. I just told you. I don't know, because you've made it sound like sometimes this process, uh, you know, well, bear, you go bear through drafts and revisions oh, and things. Uh, and... Let's see. I wrote it. Let's, I wrote the majority of it outside. Mm-hmm. And then I did a, I did a couple of drafts inside. Mm-hmm. So it was actually too warm in the porch. Mm-hmm. And then I did the final draft. I did the final draft outside the next day. Oh, nice. See? So, yeah, there you yeah. go. Lovely. So overall, I would say the majority of it was done outside. Now, uh, can I ask you about your research? Because uh, I know, I, you know, uh, you dropped some old school Batman uh, science knowledge on that, considering for those listeners who don't know, Graham's piece was... Um, I, how would you describe it, Graham? Like hypothesizing about what might happen in Christopher Nolan's final Batman movie. Do, do, do you want to know the actual origins of this piece? And it, it will explain all. Sure. Um, Stephanie, who was my editor at time, sent mm-hmm. out an email to all the Time Entertainment people saying, The Dark Knight Rises is going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. You should do stories about this. Does anyone have any stories? Here are some of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And she listed out a few things that she was thinking about. And one of them was, is Christopher Nolan going to kill off Batman in the final film? Mm-hmm. And I wrote back, not pitching her, but just responding to the email uh, and being like, probably, because Batman keeps on dying in the comics. Not thinking how many times Batman has died in the comics. Just thinking, mm-hmm. I know he has. Right. Uh, and she's like, that's great. So can you do that for next week? <laughs> uh, and so that's what it was. It, it was it was pretty much my response to her asking that question, which then came back around to the question in the editing process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I handed it in, it was much more, here are the number of times he's died. Right. And then through a process of her saying, well, what about this? And, do, you know, can you tie this back into the original question? And yada, yada, became very much, a, is he going to kill off Batman? Well, maybe here's what's happened in the comics and how it might translate into the film. Yeah, which I thought was was uh, yeah a necessary important uh, part of the piece. It made it for a great read. But and did then, you? Yes, then saw the film uh, on Monday night and told me today what happens at the end of the film. Oh, really? And I don't <laughs> want to know this, of course. So no, I'm I'm not going to tell you, but I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. We were both talking about whether essentially we could re-promote the piece when the film comes out. Mm-hmm. There's enough crossover between what I had written and what actually happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This could be re-promoted. Well, which makes sense, because I do think that uh, the, the paragraphs where you talk about the Batman as meme concept that sort of permeates the end of The Dark Knight and how that ties into the stuff that Grant Morrison was doing at, at approximately the same time, I thought you, you hit a, a really good, strong spot toward the end of that article as sort of, in a way of making, without without necessarily laying out all the pieces as to sort of yes and what that might look at look like i suppose and i thought that that was uh i thought that was well done 
Well, thank you very much. Um, the, you say laying out all, without laying out all the pieces. All of the pieces were laid out in the original version. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a beast of an article the way I originally wrote it. Mm-hmm. And one of those things where I wrote it and then I read it over again. Now it's like, oh, this is at least a third longer than it needs to be because unless you care really care about Batman. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're if you're just reading this as someone who has seen the movies but doesn't really care beyond that, like I was going into depth about Batman Incorporated <laughs> and the return of Bruce Wayne and right. you know Darkseid killing him and what this means. I was going into depth with that. Mm-hmm. Um and I ended up calling almost all of it. Oh that's good. Uh, I, I've done this in the past. I, I I in the past I've put up stuff that hasn't made it into a timepiece on the world that's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to do that with this, and then I was like, no, it's it's not. Like, it's so anal. Right. <laughs> it really was so anal. I was like, it's not even worth sharing for that. It's just ridiculously anal. Um, so those pieces were there. But no, this is this is this one was really a case of the difference between when I handed it in and when I'd reworked it based mm-hmm. on the edits and based on the notes I was given. Mm-hmm. It's, it's considerable. And it's much better as a result. That's fantastic. Now, uh, you're not necessarily a Batmanologist, so where did you actually go to research all the deaths or how how to find out how many times he had died? Is that just something that Google just... is a spectacular tool if you spend yeah? enough on okay. it? <laughs> Excellent. Okay, I was curious no, of that. Uh, I spent I spent quite a few hours on it, actually. Mm-hmm. I spent I spent a chunk of Sunday morning mm-hmm. um, looking up the various deaths, and it turns out there's at least one death I missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, he dies in the, at the end of Superman Red Sun. Oh yeah, right. As an alternative, yeah, I guess that sort of. I should remember well, that. I mean, it's like you know, does it? It doesn't really count. But then at the same time, I counted the Earth two deaths. So if mm-hmm. I'm counting alternate Batman, I feel like I should count alternate Batman. Right. Well, an alternate Batman is great, particularly alternate Russian Batman because he looks that I would. Someone had posted that. For that appearance on a tumbler and he does look great wearing that little russian hat and sort of swinging around it's it's something that's really goofy and inspired you know as part of red sun so it's kind of a fun graphic in fact that's part of what i like about your article is just the fact that you managed to cover one of my favorite brave and the bold bob haney stories oh again you know? the original version that was maybe that paragraph was maybe twice the length i went so into that but <laughs> it was great because i um i tried so i went into a lot of depth and a lot of stephanie's notes back were like what <laughs> <laughs> Really, she is because uh, I told you the note uh, when I did the Spider-Man piece, right? I think you did. So I, I did. I did a piece about Spider-Man uh, two weeks ago, last week. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Um, and I quote: I mentioned the name of Avengers versus X-Men versus mm-hmm. in there, and her note was: I think you're missing a word. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it actually does. I'm really sorry, but it does. But I love that. I love that, you know, you'll get someone mm-hmm. coming to this fresh and just being like, no, really, come on. Because for <laughs> me, I'm like, it's called Versus. That's kind of dumb. Yeah. But I just move on. Or the Bob Haney thing. I'm like, that's hilarious. Yeah. And yeah. I just accept it. And then you get someone who's coming to a fresh and they're like, that's ridiculous yeah i mean which is wonderful about it i think that's the thing that tickled me the most is that you wrote a piece i i happen to know as i suppose most of our listeners do know your feelings for the christopher nolan batman franchise 
And I, I appreciated that under the auspices of looking at that movie and treating it seriously, you talk about some of the more ludicrous angles of <laughs> Batman's history that, that are things that we can appreciate, you know? So you kind of stealth got it in there in a way that I thought was... Um, what, what is funny is I, later on tonight, actually have to write a piece defending Nolan as a director. Oh, wow. That's going to be fun for you. I'm the counterpoint (laughs) to somebody's point. He's a terrible director. Because what it came down to is, uh, I was, again, this is sort of when I had lots of people of, who likes Chris Nolan films? And I was like, I like them as long as they're not Batman. Because I do. I think Prestige is a good film. I thought Inception was a good film. Oh, Inception's really good. Uh, And I think Memento's a good film. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I, you know, I like his films that aren't Batman. And I think there's interesting things in his Batman movies. It's just I don't really like them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, even though I'm... I'm I, and again, Batman Begins, I don't think it's a terrible film. It's The Dark Knight I really hit the problem with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should tell you that when my editor was telling, talking about Dark Knight Rises, mm-hmm. she was saying that she liked it. I should just put that out right now. But she was mm-hmm. like, it is eight hours long. Oh God! Which is one of which is one of my problems with Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, oh yeah, like it never ended. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I like the rest of his films. I think Nolan's a really interesting filmmaker, and that buys a lot of credibility with me. I was actually mm-hmm. watching uh, Transformers: Dark of the Moon the other night because it's on Netflix. Oh yeah, it's, 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 it's on watch instantly. I can finally watch something. like Well, that's that. just yeah. it. Holy mm-hmm. God, Jeff! You have to watch it. It's the weirdest film ever, and it mm-hmm. makes you appreciate Nolan all the more mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because. Not only is Michael Bay completely – there's no way to watch the opening of that film without being like, oh, that's right. He made Victoria's Secret commercials. Because <laughs> like the, the, they, they, do the, they do the moon thing at the start and then like mm-hmm. the first shot in the present day sequence is mm-hmm. the new girlfriend going up the stairs and it's basically her ass going up the stairs – Mm-hmm. And it it just looks like a Victoria's Secret advert. It really does. Mm-hmm. And every single time she's there, she's on mm-hmm. screen. You know, people talk about like the camera is making love to her. This is not a camera that's making love to her. This is a camera that's like contemplating rape at all times when she's oh, on screen. Um, but it's just like you see that there's just no subtlety. The the fight sequences, you can tell that it's a film made for 3D because at every mm-hmm. point where there's a fight sequence, something will sweep across the front of the screen. Yeah. Like, I'm going to punch you, but first, let me sweep my arm across the front of the screen. Something's exploding. It's coming right for me. There's right. no subtlety in the film whatsoever. Um, and it really makes you think, you know, Nolan's actually a great director of bubblegum pop. Like, the fact oh, that yeah. he's done all that with, with the Batman movies is mm-hmm. kind of amazing. And the fact, mm-hmm. at worst point, the fact that he then did it with Inception and Inception was a hit. Oh, yeah. It, it's really kind of stunning. So, mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to to saying this even though people think that i'm i'm very anti-nolan i'm just anti-dark knight really right well i can see that i can see that i you know interestingly enough i can almost see how um bay and nolan are kind of almost opposite sides of the coin in a way you know um in that i feel that each of them have an understanding about what they're supposed to deliver to the viewer in their movies. And I feel that they, it's just, they have completely different appetites. You know what I mean? Like in a way I would say that, that, and I could be wrong. I honestly feel that part of the thing about Michael uh, Bay is that he makes the movies that he 
that he wants to see. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of he is a dude of base appetite. Oh no, definitely. Right? And he he knows what he wants and mm-hmm. he's he's shameless in providing that. Especially Dark of the Moon. I feel like Dark of the Moon is much more um openly misogynistic isn't the right word. Mm-hmm. But openly like just eye fucking mm-hmm. men in the film. Yeah. Well, that's it. Before, you know, Megan Fox, for all of her sins, and, you know, she's a terrible actress, so you you can't really defend her in that. But even though she was there as the eye candy of the first two Transformers films, somehow Mm -hmm. she's retroactively less eye candy because of the way that he treats the actress in the new film. Right, right. Yeah, no, he's he's really a dude of, um, he's like... You know, whenever it seems like Carl's Jr. releases like a new terrifying sandwich of some kind, you know, where it's like, you know, uh, an entire pack of bacon on top of two fried eggs on top of a, you know, cheeseburger on top of a pizza inside a fajita (laughs) kind of thing. Like that that sounds wonderful. (laughs) Exactly. That is very much how Michael Bay's approach to he 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 has that. He's kind of got that uh, almost whatever the cinematic equivalent of an eating disorder is. Like there's (laughs) always got to be more and it's always got to be done in a way that it moves far beyond the the level of, you know, unless you're you have a similar sort of gullet thing going on. It moves far into the realms of, um, you know, far past satiation to the point of just this incredibly weird um, obsessiveness. You know what I mean? No, like, I, I totally know what you mean. And, and Dark of the Moon is is almost self-parody in that way. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really feels like Michael Bay has been holding back previously. And in this film, he's like, fuck it. I'm giving them uncut Bay. Right, right. Which is just terrifying in a way. But I mean, like, Jesus. I mean, I remember watching walking out of the trailers for the Transformers Dark of the Moon going like I I almost felt like I had seen a movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah, no, exactly. it just had that it's, much The other thing about Dark of the Moon and I heartily recommend you see it. Mm-hmm. And again, this is kind of for the wrong reason, is that the parts that don't feature the robots. Mm-hmm. It's the weirdest comedy I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you have John Malkovich showing up as uh, Shia LaBeouf's boss, just acting on a different plane, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, not in a he's such a sensitive actor way, but in a, oh no no, so, no yeah, no, someone yeah. has told him you can go as broad as you want, exactly, and he's take and you know he's in the same scene as John Turturro who is trying to outbroad him. Oh my god! And, oh my god! Exactly, and then you bring in Francis McDormand as the the. Uh, Secretary of Defense, I think she is. Oh my God, really? Yeah, no, exactly. So, so you have all these amazing actors. So like, almost like a Coen Brothers yes, parody at that point. Yes, and they're all going so amazingly broad, and the the writing is so so beneath them. Yeah, <laughs> that it becomes yeah. this weird. Like I am appreciating this on a meta level. Of holy, every shit. single one of these people has signed on for the paycheck. Every single one. And I'm happy that they did because them doing Mm -hmm. that means that maybe they can do a better film that won't pay as well afterwards. 
Sure. It, 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 certainly... it really becomes a strange thing. And so you, you have that. You have Shia LaBeouf's parents show up and basically are there as if they have come out of American Pie. <laughs> so they, they come in and they're just like, sex joke, sex joke, sex joke. We're old, but we get it on. You aren't having enough sex. And it's, it's amazing. And then they go from that to like, you know, here is Optimus Prime and uh, Sentinel Prime, who is Leonard Nimoy, who manages to sound even older than he normally does. And mm-hmm. even more wooden than Peter Cullen being Optimus Prime. Uh, like then fist fighting or whatever. And then we'll cut back to like crazy sex joke. <laughs> there, it's the most scattered, amazing film from that level I've ever right. seen. Right. Yeah, I uh, I have to admit I've always wanted to see them in a way that was sort of like without wanting to pay more than the time it was going to take out of my life. So I was kind of pleased that it popped up on Netflix, and I'm hoping. I, I kind of hope all three are. I've not seen if the second or the first or second are on there. I don't think they are. I don't think so. As far as I can tell, like Netflix is doing some impressive amounts of um, lip service to their movie library, which seems to include weird wild card movies like the Transformers film or like when Ryan Gosling's uh, yeah, Drive, Drive is on, there. on there. Yeah, as which is, is just shocking. As is Thor. Know? I think what's actually happening is oh, yeah. they're in a, like mm-hmm. a cycle of fairly recent movies that will be on there for about three months and then disappear. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And so, because uh, uh, I mean, I think, as you know, in fact, I think the only reason I know is, is that from articles written by you, uh, Netflix is spending far more money on both television and or developing its own content. So, so yeah, it would be really surprising to me if you ended up with all three Transformers movies, because I feel that they, they just need to see put on enough stuff that people are like, Oh, that's new. Gosh, what else do they have here? You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a Potemkin village, I think. Well, seeing, seeing the the Transformers thing was on there. It really was like, huh, I wonder what else they've got on. So yeah, they got Mm -hmm. my attention for that alone. Yeah. And then you're just kind of like, huh, Melissa loves Joey all three seasons. How bad can it be? How bad can it be? I have to say, I was in a donut shop the other day watching the opening credits to that. You know, sort of the Melissa loves Joey. It's it's um it's Melissa. Oh, it's Melissa from Sabrina mm-hmm. Teenage Witch. Melissa yes. Joan something. Melissa. Yes, Melissa Joan Hart. Yes, and Joey Lawrence from Blossom. Yes. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, and, the only reason I know that is because I'm watching Bunheads and ABC Family, and so I see the adverts. Oh, okay. So you see the advert. So yeah, I was in a donut shop and God help me, the 12-year-old donut clerk who actually sold me my apple fritter had uh, Melissa Loves Joey on. And so I was I was able to watch it. It was kind of, um, it, it was fascinating because I don't think I've seen a picture of Joey Lawrence in about 20 years. So the whole like his impressive transformation to adult with hair problems has been, was fascinating to me. But also fascinating was after the because I saw the very opening without sound, then the title credits without sound, and then you know it goes into the episode, and the the actual credits are running. Melissa loves Joey, which strikes me as perhaps I'm wrong, but not a particularly sophisticated looking show, 
has no less than nine executive producers, co-executive producers, and supervising producers. There's more producers on that show than there are in the department where I work at my job. Well, you know, something workers. something I hear a lot on the Nerdist Writers podcast that I've talked up a lot in this, and I saw in the comments the other day that people were like, I've started listening to that because Graham mentioned it, and you're welcome, everyone. It's a really good show. Um, is I think it was Amy Burke who said it recently. Essentially executive producer is what happens when they want to give you more work but they don't want to give you more money if you're a writer uh, so that's yeah. that's why there's so many she's like that mm-hmm. and story editor they're all meaningless titles that basically mean we're going to give you more work but we're not going to give you a raise oh interesting but they give you the title because, yeah all right that's interesting because of course some of them as you know especially with executive producers some of them are the the show the stars people. yeah yeah, exactly. When they want a bigger cut of the pie. So it's, it's interesting. Um, good to know. But yeah, just a ton of them. And I was like, huh, you know, it's it's not always the easiest thing to do to reinvent the wheel, even with a can't miss concept as Melissa Joan Hart and Joey Lawrence, re, you know, doing who's the boss for the late to the late oddies. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it but i've definitely seen a lot of reports where people are basically saying if you want the sort of sitcoms that used to be on primetime broadcast networks in the late 80s or early 90s that's Mm -hmm. basically where you go you go to the nickelodeans you go to the abc families you go to the disney channels um because that's the only place that sort of show still exists and can get an audience but i mean Mm -hmm. definitely the disney shows have a really successful run doing stuff that is the sort of broad family sitcom that you'd see on oh, primetime totally. way back when. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, absolutely. A good so so for all we know, like Melissa Loves Joey might be a great show. It might not be it, to our tastes, but it might be just, mm, you know, really well done. Absolutely. Absolutely. If nothing else, it seems to me, whatever they're doing with Joey, whoever's handling Joey Lawrence's like look, uh, deserves some sort of special award because that guy is all over the map. Um, I don't think I've ever seen someone so young whose genetic material decided to deal him a crap hand and he spent tremendous amounts of money and effort combating it. So it's kind of, it's fascinating. I could actually, uh, I re- it was really hard not to actually go start YouTubing videos of Joey Lawrence after that. Which is sad because as a 45-year-old man, it's, it's the only reason why I'm doing it is watching somebody who's, you know, uh, 15, 20 years younger than me just do their like, – I, I, I think you're – he's 36 years old. I should point that out right oh, now. I've, okay, I've thank you. All right. That's good to know. I looked him up earlier and I couldn't remember. So, yeah, he's 10 years younger than me. Uh, and, of course, he's trying to look – kind of in that target zone of like kind of late 20s maybe super early 30s but because of whatever happened to his hair and whatever else was going on with his decision to like do a lot of steroids and sort of pump his body kind of up to the maximum he sort of has a really impressive like gym trainer who could give you chlamydia and maybe spent some time as a rent boy that he doesn't want to tell you about kind of aura to him that it's fascinating really fascinating you know so what i want to know is does this mean you really wish you had abc family at home 
Uh, yeah. Is, does that is that what it means? I, I, I guess think so. Might. I think what you're telling yeah. me is you would watch that show if you had access to it. I don't know. I mean, you know, I've made some. I have to admit, I've made some bad TV choices. Uh, I, I, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I spent an absurd amount of time watching Charles in Charge reruns for almost no reason, as far as I can just tell. call it research. That always works. <laughs> <laughs> oh sure, I'd call it research now, but uh yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a very strange. You know that weird feeling when you like see those guys who used to be cele- who who ostensibly still are celebrities but have clearly transitioned to some other period in their life and the way they're handling it just seems endlessly absorbing you know what i mean yes do you really no, no, have no, anyone no. like that uh, do i have anyone like that mm-hmm. uh, i try and stay away from people like that i try and stay away from all the reality shows where it's like they were on a sitcom 20 years ago although yeah yeah, yeah. Just remind me, have you seen sex house the onion reality show parody <laughs> no oh god sounds great look already up, look it up on twitter it's so funny it's got mm-hmm. all the cliches the, the idea is it's a house where for three months everyone like all the contestants can go and have guilt-free sex which you know in, <laughs> in itself is a hilarious concept but they take it they take it to the extreme so they have the traditional like you know jock guy he goes in he's like everything's great wow look at this house and then they've got the 18 year old girl from the midwest who's never been out into the in the city before and she's shocked by everything and then they just go weird so in the middle of all of this you get this 45 year old guy who's married and has a wife and won a <laughs> pizza contest has been in the show and he's like i'm not going to have sex with all of you i just really like meeting people meeting people's really exciting and then it comes to all of their interviews and they're like this old guy came into the house what the fuck's going on <laughs> It's really funny. Or the the one gay guy who comes in and they keep on cutting Mm -hmm. to his interviews and he's like, so I was trying to see who was gay and nobody's here here is gay. So I won't be having sex. But if someone here is gay, I'll find you. (laughs) Oh, reality show. See, yeah, that's it. I usually don't watch reality shows and I don't really watch... um... Actually, is this a good time? Do you? Do you uh, we've talked. I think I've mentioned Jarrett Kobeck, who listens to this podcast and uh, wrote a book, Ada, that I mentioned favorably a couple of months ago. Do you know what his latest project is? I do not. It's, it's a book that uh, is just is coming out very shortly, uh, titled um, "If You Won't Read, Why Should I Bother to Write?" And the book is actually transcriptions of the dialogue um on celebrity sex tapes between you know yeah yeah it's so it's it's all the the um the non the the interstitial stuff all the stuff that spectacular isn't that amazing yeah he he actually showed me a copy of the book as it's ready to come out and it looks it looks fantastic it's really it's one of those like kind of can't miss ideas and the, just the titles of the chapters alone are brilliant. So um, hopefully I can, I can like, you know, catch a reading copy off of him so that I can regale you with some of the chapters. That, that, that is great. spectacular. That, that is yeah. really genius right there. It really is. And the thing that's great is he was, he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, the sad thing is it will probably sell. It will, it's probably going to sell great. You know, he's like, it's it kind of can't lose, you know. People actually are interested in celebrities, almost no matter what. So, but it's also um, such a, a smart 
uh, criticism in the right word. It's definitely commentary. It's more commentary yes. on the whole thing. But yeah. nonetheless, one that I want to read. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. I'm exactly the same way. Is is that it's incredibly pointed and incisive, uh, and and yet also it it manages it manages to work in that kind of fine art way that uh, is you know manages to um, I don't know entice at the same time that it strangles. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's not the right verb at the end there. But yeah, so it's kind of awesome. Um, um, so people keep an ear out for that. I will let you know when it's out and available. Graham, I'm sorry. We spent so much time talking and, uh, without actually covering comics in any sort of direct way. Uh, <laughs> I think that's fair. I, well, we talked about Batman. He's a comic character. True. And the Transformers have been in comics and I used to Joey love the Transformers Lawrence. comics. Did you read the Transformers comics when you were a kid? You know, we covered this and I really did not and uh sort of wish that I had, you know, this the at least covered the Simon Furman stuff, you know? And that would be um, weird to go back and reread now for me because mm-hmm. It's so much a part of my childhood. I think I'd be really disappointed in it. I suspect, mm-hmm. suspect it's really not as good as I remember. But I like Target 2006 was like the big Simon Furman story at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember just being blown a fucking way by that. <laughs> and I think that if I read it, I'd be like, this is terrible. <laughs> but because I remember just being so, I can't wait until next week because I want to read another chapter of this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of those things I'm scared to ever go back to. That's great. I I I would love to check some of those out. I think I told you that there was a period where it was like I was desperately try- I was like in the throes of like, yeah, I'm going to try and break in fever. And I approached IDW because I had like a, a terrifying handful of ideas. Oh, I, very I, much- I remember your Transformers idea, which was the greatest thing ever. Yeah, the, the well, because it really was just sort of like, what if Jack Kirby was doing the Transformers, and you take it kind of from there. So, um, and I still would actually like to write the non-Kirbyish idea that I think I might have mentioned. That's the no, that, cover one, yeah, which I I I love. So, um, uh, anyway, Transformers, the comic. Yeah, I don't know if you should check it out. I think I told you that I picked up a, a kind of terrifying number of the GI Joe. Uh, classic archives uh, digitally when they were on sale a couple of weeks ago, didn't I? I don't think you did, but I'm looking forward to your reading them if you haven't. I should tell you, and I'm telling you for the sake of this is not going to apply to our listeners by the time this episode goes out, there is a top shelf sale for Comic-Con happening right now digitally. And so I got the new Eddie Campbell graphic novel for $5 and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, oh, I actually was planning on picking it up. So you've read it, and it's 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 good. It's really good. It's excellent. Um, and also, the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is five dollars century. Wow, really? Yeah, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, there, there's, there's a, a bunch th- of stuff there that's that's really, really, really good, and it's it's incredibly cheap. Yeah, it's kind of a shame that it's not going by the time this gets to the listeners because that first issue of Double Barrel is ninety nine cents. Yes, which if which is like 180 pages for that. That's just crazy. Hey, um, this would be a good segue into, have you read the second issue of Double Barrel? I did. I did, in fact. And um, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I, it's interesting to me that um, the, the I was kind of bummed that the hex section was a little short 
uh, uh, to me, it felt it's because the first chapter, the first issue had so many pages of the book. I assume yeah, that it's a, it, a shorter, it, it, it shorter felt, novel. It felt significantly less heck this time around. But then I yeah. thought that uh, Creator 15 felt longer. Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? And I loved Penny from the Front uh, the, afterwards. I loved Penny from the Front. Oh, yeah? The, uh, yeah. The extra strip, the, the other Kevin Cannon strip at the back? Yes, I, I yes. really, I, I adored it. It was incredibly short, and I'm guessing mm-hmm. it's like part one of X. But just yes. everything that's in it, I was like, oh, I would read more of this in a second. Pretty much as soon as Penny is talking to her boss, even before you get to the man who complains about he's only able to write sex tips i don't know why all of it really resonated with me and i was like this is spectacular have i completely ruined that for you have you not read that yet no 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 you know it's really funny i'm like yes and i'm like you know i think i didn't read it like i sort of skipped over it and was like oh i'll come back to it later um because i i ended up reading the the all the magazine-ish features at the back i guess um which I really enjoy. I really like that a lot. I like, love I, I love up... the lettering tip yes, thing. I, yeah. I, I find that really useful. It sounds like an odd thing to say because I'm never going to letter a comic, but I find it really mm-hmm. interesting. I, I, it yeah. was, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was, it was interesting. It's just written in just an incredibly approachable, informal voice. And it's, kind of laid out spectacularly like it's really i'm like if this was a you know because top shelf you know does have it kind of skewed and the canons have it working this sort of like it's almost like a comics magazine that you're picking up every month and it feels like it and it's and it's really great like yeah i, really I, I love that i love the i actually really enjoyed the introduction strip this month yes i did too i thought that was really really month. charming um, I liked the letters page, and I loved the punchlines. The letters page. Yes. Yeah, I thought that. Was I thought that was really, really funny. Um, no, I, I, again, it's just a spectacular package for one ninety nine. I mean, yeah. Second month in a row, I was just like, "This is amazing. How can they keep this up?" Yeah, exactly. How can they? So I, I have to say, I'm really excited. Uh, I think we're both kind of uh, uniformly. Um, I, th- I think, we're, I think with, we're endorsing this book yeah, fairly firmly at this point. I think yeah, after two exactly. issues, we can both be like, the very worst you're going to get some great comics. And yeah. Over and above that, there's a lot. There's a lot that's been in those first two issues. Yeah, just a, just a ton and just kind of a great feeling. Like it's, it's really a, a great little package. I hope that they can sustain it. I hope Top Shelf can figure out a way to kind of keep that going as they move into uh, using different creators and things well that, yeah, that's the plan really after fantastic. a year it goes to two different other people for serials serializations of their books and right. I, I think that's i think it's a great plan i think what's going to happen is and i think it's a problem but the fact that there's going to be two new creators so it's you're not going to have an overlap i think might mm-hmm. hurt it yeah I, it it'll be an interesting transition because what's what i feel is great is the canons seem to have a real similarity in their tone and they mesh really well together that it, you feel like this is a really good team and it's kind of a team book. And even, you know, if it wasn't for the little bits and pieces attributing to top shelf, you would feel like it is, you know, their zine, so to speak. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that works with two different creators. Cause I imagine you can't always get that same 
chemistry. Well, you know? not only that, there's this uh, because the because they mesh so well. There's a really particular sensibility to the stories in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, oh, very much. Which so, which lends yeah. a very I don't know how to describe it. I was going to say gung ho, which I don't think is is right. But there, there's a very mm-hmm. sort of excitable, mm-hmm. knowledgeable. Mm-hmm thing that going on there that I think if you had like if all of a sudden it's like and now it's Jeff Lemire and Craig Thompson like that would mm-hmm. be an insanely different thing yeah very it's, much it's, so. it's not just a, are the next graders going to be good enough it's going to be what will they make double barrel yes exactly and also will it still be double barrel because double barrel kind of works as a pun title because it's two cannons <laughs> Yes, like exactly. is it just going to be that they're going to have a revolving and two strip anthology every year? Yeah, but it won't be yeah. the same thing, which might be the smarter way to go. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, there's kind of that concept of making the tr- transition for other people to follow it. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like if you build up enough, mom- it you're basically creating a, an easier jumping off point if you suddenly like restart it with a new name and different things. Yeah, but so the flip side I, of that is you're creating a good jumping on point. True, of course. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see We'll see where it goes. Uh, but it is tremendously enjoyable. I, I picked it up, dug that. And uh, I should talk about the other real major comic read of this week, which is that uh, uh, Shonen Jump Alpha. I was like, th- I didn't realize. I was like three weeks behind because kind of, of course I was. You know, because since it's it's so much all the time, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, and also is is very much like, yeah. I think when I was in Portland, I didn't have any time to to pick it up and read it. And yeah, next thing I knew, so it was kind of fun to like suddenly go, well, I've got something like three hundred pages of comics to read, and uh, and fortunately, I had a block of time. I couldn't get to the comic store, but I was able to read them, and uh, it, that was also fun in a, a like, hey here's another digital comic magazine. You know, they've rolled two of their titles, you know, Bakuman's ended. And then that other damn book uh, title that made no sense to me, that was like, you know, Scriven of the Witch Scriveners or something. The the one that was an absurdly detailed art with like people, you know, wielding around multiple pentagram face sites and things. Things that apparently the book is quite a hit because of its absurd levels of overdesign. That book's going on a hiatus for a little bit, so they moved in a new title to replace it, uh, which is a Yu-Gi-Oh title. Um, really? So, yeah, kind of weird, because huh. they're sort of like, you know, I guess that the way they describe it, it is like, Shonen Jump just ain't Shonen Jump without a card manga, so Yu-Gi-Oh's Sekai will be joining the lineup every month, starting with this issue. So they start with like issue nine of this thing, uh, issue nine, uh, chapter nine of, of this thing, for whatever reason, I guess, because the first volume's already been collected in trade. And I've never, I've read, uh, you know, I've sampled a lot of different manga, but I have not read any sort of card collector manga. Yeah. And it was hilarious. Not for the reasons that I think they <laughs> would have liked. But seriously, you saw you saw Ghostbusters, haven't you, Grant? I have right? seen Ghostbusters, yes. Yeah, so you know that scene where after Rick Moranis is sort of wandering, he's like lost his mind because he's semi-possessed. And he's like, 
he rants. He basically has this long description that just sounds like some somebody's little brother talking about the first D&D game he ever played, where it's like, and then we faced a tremendous Znorg, you know, kind of thing. The It's 20 pages of that, where these two guys are, and I think by guys, I mean one of them's a woman, are, are having a card duel showdown, and they're literally whipping out these cards and saying and explaining things, like, I summon right-hand shark, then I summon left-hand shark, and then they explain the cards that they slap down for the modifiers for the so it would be like the world's most boring comic book if what they were saying wasn't absolute incoherent gibberish with like the with you know the panels to match the drawings to match it it was hilarious i mean i don't think they like I said they didn't intend it to be but i was just like this is absurd but maybe absurdly they, maybe they did intend it to be Oh sure, I'm. I, yeah, I mean, you know, there's something about manga. You know, it's always, it's a lot of it is always well in touch with its own absurdity. But, um, but yeah, but they're aware of it. But at a certain point, they're also not aware of it, and that's probably the part where it's like, because they're because literally, it's about how to play cards. And I thought it would be one of those situations where it's like, oh, okay, so these characters are going to be actual characters that you will find on the cards and there's going to be analogs to the card play. But no, these are literally people with magical card decks summoning monsters the way that you play the cards in your card game. So it's like... It's just like you, except you don't have the monsters. Right, exactly, exactly. Instead of you being dynamic and making mega dragons attack super sharks, you're basically sitting in a room playing down cards wishing you had friends. So it's... <laughs> Oh, Jeff. (laughs) I'll have them one day, Graham. Uh, So so it's really kind of a it it was kind of a great read. And then, you know, we're like several chapters into uh, Barrage, which replaced Bakuman and is kind of is is it's been enjoyable reading it from the very start. It's kind of like a prince and the pauper kind of thing where the pauper takes the place of the prince who's run off because he's an irresponsible jerk. Uh, the pauper takes his place and now it's his job to essentially help unify this war-torn planet that's being invaded by alien monsters. And, um, you know, is kind of sweet and is just kind of so far everything that you would want from this kind of comic. Uh you know, it's it's clearly clearly I'm punching below my weight to read it because the I think the ideal audience is 13 year old boys, if that. But it's OK. It's OK. And then Toriko has turned out to be awesome. So I have to say that that Shonen Jump Alpha has kind of picked up a little bit in terms of. Oh, I remember you're nervous. I remember you're mm-hmm. like, these, these strips are finishing. I don't know how I'm going to feel about this. Yeah, well, and some of them were kind of incomprehensible. So. But now I'm kind of at a stage where, I, I mean, I'm pretty much used to One Piece. No matter what's happening with One Piece, I'm basically always going to be baffled by it. But there are times when I'm both baffled and really enjoy it. And same way with Bleach. And Naruto is actually the closest one that I think I have, quote unquote, gotten into, which is kind of amazing considering it's on chapter uh 590 and i probably started reading it like late in the 550s or something like that mm-hmm. so 
it's kind of, and and considering it's it's near the end of its thing i sort of feel like uh, it's like coming into jrr tolkien's books like halfway through return of the king and just being like huh wow uh mm. Well, you guys certainly spent a lot of time developing your uh, background history, didn't you? <laughs> Here's a question. Did you read – did you just catch up on three issues at once? Yes. Do you think that changed the way that you enjoyed the strips then? Do, do you think it's one of those things where if you're reading them on a weekly basis and you had the space in between that you wouldn't have had such a strong enjoyment of them? That's a good question. Up until now, I have been reading them on – pretty much a weekly basis every once in a while I'll sort of miss a week and and read two issues at, at once um and I would almost say I at first I thought that was the case but I'm not entirely sure that it is I think part of it is is because of the new stories starting they are much easier to jump onto and I think that is a huge factor honestly more than the fact that I'm like 800 chapters in to other books but something like uh, something like Toriko, I've generally enjoyed week in and week out, and now I'm definitely enjoying it more. And something like One Piece, I noticed, like it was in two of the three issues, and one of the issues I didn't enjoy it at all, and the other issue I thought was incredibly enjoyable. So I think there's a lot of variables at play. Sometimes there's stronger chapters than others. Um, sometimes you actually get a chapter where something's quote unquote happening that you you know that in my case i can quote unquote understand but um yeah i don't know with the three issue thing i actually part of me was sort of thinking that it was a little bit of a slog to read that much at one time that being said i know that part of that problem was the way that it's set up you read 20 pages of one serial and then 20 pages of another serial and then 20 pages of another and i would have enjoyed, and I guess I could have done it, but not easily, reading all 60 pages of Tariko and then all 60 pages of Naruto. I think if I'd done it that way, I think then I think it would have been what you talked about, that that would have heightened my enjoyment. But because I'm reading them and I'm still reading them sort of zebra in zebra stripe fashion, yeah. it's still kind of um, it still wasn't sort of a um, an easy fit, I guess. Okay, I can I can see that. No, it's just I remember when I was I was much younger uh, and reading 2018. If I'd go on vacation mm-hmm. and come back and I'd have like three or four issues to catch up with, that I would read them as in like I'm reading four Judge Rides at once. I'm reading right. four Rogue Troopers at once, uh, and mm-hmm. that really would significantly change the way I'd read it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think so, and I can see that with. Especially with print, because you can—it's very easy to jump from. Yeah, it, it would know. be would be harder to do that in digital. Yeah, uh, at least the way that it's set up here, because the bookmarking is super super rudimentary. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's funny. I remember my comic book collecting days because things were always so touch and go. I would sometimes get it where I'd have two or three issues at once, and that would always sort of seem more enjoyable. On the other hand, one thing that I found is, again, in part because of the way that I collected when I was a kid, I like also having some time off, you know? Like, there's something where, for me, uh, reading, 
I don't know, five issues in a go of a book feels kind of tedious now. Maybe that's just because, you know, I'm an adult and I kind of have things that's, to do in my That's really funny because I, I really enjoy doing that. I will leave mm. books, certain books, until there's like a batch and then read them in a one Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I can't do that. And even when I read stuff like trades, uh, I feel like a lot of the trades that I read are either collections of much earlier issues, you know, something like uh, the Kirby stuff or the Ditko Creeper thing. Um, but yeah, but even even when I sat down with the first volume of the Judge Dredd case files and started reading it, I could only really make it through about four stories at a go. And then I was like, okay, now admittedly, that's back when it's on volume one and it probably changes a lot when you well, get yeah to- but also admittedly i think the thing about 2080 is because of the way especially the early stuff is structured mm-hmm. you do kind of like burn out you reach mm-hmm. thrill power overloads jeff that's what it is uh, <laughs> no but they're there because the, the way they're po- paced is for the episodic thing so it really is like here's your big moment here's your big moment and if you read that if you read them three or four at a time you get kind of exhausted because it's like every four pages, there's a mm-hmm. climactic moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And you really are yeah. just like, okay, I'm done. Like, there's only so many times that I can read in that short of time that Judge Dredd is going to be shot. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. if I don't make this shot, Drock or whatever. <laughs> you know, you're, you can't. It's difficult to sort of get past that as a reader, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. Whereas, weirdly enough, um, but I think we all have things that we kind of can make exceptions for. Because I, I say that because uh, reading Bakuman volume, like sitting down and reading a volume of Bakuman all at once is a tremendous pleasure, you know? And that's mm-hmm. like 200 and some odd pages, you know? So it's 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 quite a go but you know but yeah and even it oh my god now that i'm 12 volumes into bakuman the the things that i you know even i who am not a particularly diligent reader am like oh yeah okay so here comes the panel where they both stand up and go yeah let's do our best is like it's right around the corner you know uh, you kind of serial based entertainment it really does have it it has to have that jumping on point. There's always that line. No matter how much you try and like make it a thin little membrane, I I kind of feel like it's just sort of inherent in in the material. I guess even if it's being done well. Well, it's, it's one of the things. Like I was reading the uh, the first volume of the collected Strontium Dog, which is a, a 2080 thing that I want to say started in like 79, maybe. So I mean, you're really in like early 2080, but not so early that they don't know what they're doing. Like it's it's mm-hmm. you know, the first flush of 2080 being successful and being a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's such a rhythm to the introduction to the to the last page and the first page mm-hmm. um, that when you're mm-hmm. reading in collection you're like okay so this is the last this is the cliffhanger for the week that panel is essentially going to be repeated but larger in the next page mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's not just cliffhanger it's like the cliffhanger is also going to act as an introduction so you'll okay. have you know Johnny Alpha will be shot in the mm-hmm. cliffhanger and the mm-hmm. next panel, the next page will start with Johnny Alpha being shot. But this time, the villain will be saying something like, "You thought you could get away from me, but I've tracked you through time to do this." 
mm-hmm. and you're back into it. Mm-hmm. And there's such mm-hmm. a rhythm. There's such a. It, it, they don't. Isn't there's no. You know, we're going to try and make this a seamless experience at all. It's very much. We are focused on these five pages. These five pages are the delivery system. Right. Right. Well, and I was really fascinated. I wish that I had enough experience with the format to kind of talk to you about that first Zombo trade. Cause I really, it, they, they don't have the, they don't have the credits every five pages, you know, they, they try and make it look like a continuous story and it, and I don't even know for sure in that case, if it really was five pages other than you had told me and I could see where the, the endings yeah, were. Yeah. You could potentially read the beat. Yeah. Yeah. And so once, once you look for the beat, then you can read it. But I was actually sort of amused. I think I was like 15 pages in and hadn't really been paying attention. I was like, Jesus Christ, this thing is dense. And then I was like, oh, yeah, right. That's right. It's funny, though, because I was reading a the collection of Morrison's last Justice League, mm-hmm. uh, or the last of his regular run. So it was the World War Three trade. Oh, um, yeah. And they've stripped the they've stripped the to be continued out of that, and they don't put the covers between the chapters. Wow! And that does bec- that does reach a point of your unless you've read the original series, or unless mm-hmm. you can see like the little black box where they've stripped out the to be continued. Right. Um, you can just go from chapter to chapter and not realize, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. is was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, I I'll be curious. It'd be lovely to see digital comics like do something with that. I mean, I don't really think that they will because it would require more work, which is the thing that I, you know, they're they're more interested in trying to maximize their profits, but it would be kind of great if you were reading a trade collection and you could like turn on you know, quote unquote annotations, which would essentially, it would be an overlay that would show you where those chapter beginnings start and end in the credit boxes and everything. Or you could sort of lift those off and see how it sort of rolls through. Cause yeah. I, I think it's, it's fascinating. I kind of, I, I'm always, I, I came from a, you know, I guess we both did come from that generation of, here's where you are being educated as to what the premise is and what happened last month sort of situation, either explicitly in the credit in the box above the credits or having that scene where everything slows down and people explain it to you. But um, I just always feel like it's a strange necessity. I, 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 in, in many cases, I was amused to see that when Mark Wade was, you know, in his AV club article, what interview was talking about how, that's something that he feels like he really needs to have in Daredevil, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, well, I, I think when he was saying that, I thought that was really interesting that he's so aware of of each of the, the cliche, each issue is somebody's first. He's so aware mm-hmm. of the, I need to set this up. Because yeah. so many books these days aren't. Mm-hmm. They're really much mm-hmm. through. And, and I think for their sins, I think Marvel books are worse because they're like, well, we have that p- recap page before that. But the recap mm-hmm. pages sometimes are terrible because literally this is what happened last issue as opposed to this is who these characters are. Yeah. Like if well, you pick up, I think if you pick up like New Avengers, for example, say, say mm-hmm. you are one of these mythical and let's face it, probably non-existent readers who sees right. the Avengers movie and then goes into store and is like, New Avengers, that's awesome. I'll pick that up. Mm-hmm. None of the characters in there are the characters from the movie. You'll mm-hmm. recognize Spider-Man and Wolverine and probably that's it. 
mm-hmm. there's never any attempt to be like, okay, so here's the setup. Luke Cage, like, this is basically the relaxed Avengers. Luke Cage is this, you know, this is the history of Luke Cage, this is the history of Iron Fist, this is the history of Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. There's none of that. Instead, it'll be like, Norman Osborn is out of prison and he's going to fuck shit up. Mm-hmm. As if that's all you need to know. Yeah. Well, and the thing that also bothers me is a lot of those pages, I know they like they did the laziest job of making them graphically interesting, at least most of them. I find most of them literally a chore to read. It's usually like small white print on like a colored background surrounded by graphics that may or may not tie in in any meaningful way. And I just... I just don't like it. Like, it literally looks ugly, you know. And that's the case it is for most of them, unless they take the point. Even something where I think Peter David, who's made it a point of writing his own recap pages, and most of them usually have some point, some little area of amusement or a joke or something to make them worthy of reading. I still don't necessarily, I just literally don't enjoy reading them, you know. I th- it, yeah, I, th- I think recap pages are problematic. But then you get something like the Journey into Mystery recap pages are great. Yes, like they're yeah. they're just funny and they're they're funny on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are there yeah, there's a lot of just dogs of recap pages. Now you saw the thing about Kieran Gillen and his podcast, right? Yes, I haven't listened to it yet, but I really want to. <laughs> you do? You, do you want to talk about it for the listeners, since you probably have a better memory of it than uh, I do? So uh, give them the heads up. The short version is: Kieran Gillen has started his own podcast, uh, which I believe is focused on the craft of making comics, like the the, the details of it. And so, for the first episode, he's interviewing Jason Aaron about mm-hmm. talking about decompression, which I can't wait to hear. Yeah, uh, if only yeah. I think th- those two are two of the definitely two of the least decompressed writers at Marvel, but mm-hmm. especially Aaron, I think, is vehemently aware and reacts to decompression. I, I feel mm-hmm. like he packs his stories full of shit, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm really curious to see what they have to say about decompression or or the need for compression or uncompression or whatever you would call it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although, interestingly enough, he, he says that it – I mean the podcast is called Decompressed, but it appears to be – Oh, it's, it's the pod – I see. I only saw the tweet. I didn't actually uh, – so Yeah, the I'm pod, looking on his the, website. Then yeah. You should tell everyone then because you know more than – Well, I, I – only because I – while you were talking, I, I took a second to actually look it up online. So it's called Decompressed. It's a comics craft podcast, and the basic idea is that uh, Kieran interviews creators about an issue and really dig into it in a what were you trying to do with it with that panel kind of way, as he puts it. So, um, so yeah, the first one is is he and Jason Aaron discussing specifically Wolverine and X Men and the X Men issue thirteen. And in fact, uh, Kieran on his on the page where you can download things, he actually has thumbnails of the pages in the panels that they're going to be discussing. Oh, that's that's even nicer. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, it just seems that for those people who uh, dig the kind of uh, two blind mice babbling that we do um, and enjoy stuff like the Nerdist podcast, uh, this seems like it's really super up your alley and many of our listeners' alley. So I really wanted to point it out bring it to everyone's intention in case they didn't know about it. It's called decompressed. And I think searching on it and Kieran Gillen's name 
will prob- hopefully get you to it. It's, I think, on his, hosting it on his work blog currently. So check it out. I think you should. I mm-hmm. So I have a question because I know you didn't buy much this week. Did you yes. by any chance buy or read Wild Children? No, you know, and this is the thing that kills me because um, due to some opportunities, I had uh, a number of comics that I was able would have been able to read today despite not making it to the store. Uh, I chose to read Walking Dead 100 because I know it's going to be waiting for me when I go in. But I did see that my friend was kind enough to lend me uh, the copy of that. And I'm like, oh, I should read this, you know. And then I didn't think you would have, so... Oh, no, I I, I did. I did. uh, For my sins, uh, I was going to... I was going... (laughs) No, I was going to go to the store yesterday, and then I just Mm -hmm. didn't. Time completely ran away from me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just wouldn't have caught up with anything. But then... On Twitter, Jeff Parker and David Brothers were talking about the last page of Dark Avengers. Yes. To the point where they were calling me out. Jeff Parker went, I can't wait to find, see what Graham thinks of this. And I was right. like, okay, I quite clearly have to do this. So I bought it. And I I kind of pissed myself laughing when I saw this, that, the last page. And it was even funny because I it's the return. I don't want to spoil this for everyone, but it's the return of a really obscure Marvel character. It is, however, a Marvel character. I made a joke out of last week on Twitter as Marvel reviving. Yes. And Jeff Parker I, didn't know that. Yeah, which was great. I actually saw that little exchange, so I do know who's there. I don't know if you should tell him because I'm planning on spoiling the shit out of Walking Dead 100. Oh, I'm, I'm looking probably. forward to you spoiling that. Okay, because it doesn't really spoil the story. Um, they, re- they revise mm-hmm. Justice Peace. <laughs> who is who is a Judge Dredd ripoff that Walt Simonson created? Um, mm-hmm. And it's fucking fantastic. It's basically, what if Judge Dredd was a time-traveling fascist instead of just a regular <laughs> fascist? He's great. And he, so he's, he's been brought back in the last page of uh, Thunderbolts, and he's great. Um, the rest of Dark... It's not Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers. The le- rest of Dark Avengers is spectacular. It yeah. is my favorite Doctor Doom use in the longest time. Wow. Um, if only because I think Parker gets the ridiculousness of Doctor Doom, but also understands that he's still meant to be a badass. Mm-hmm. So you have at one point, um, Satana sentences Doctor Doom's astral self to hell while leaving mm-hmm. his body in where it was. Hmm. And they're all like, okay, let's get out of here because he's going to kick our asses. And he's back within like a panel. And he's basically like, how dare you do that to me? <laughs> and it's great because it's, it's so overblown because he does all the whole like, you dare? You know, dash dash question mark. But then he's, he is just a badass that kicks their ass horrendously. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I really, really weird. liked it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I don't know. It's, um, it's funny. I'm always like, wait, Doctor Doom? Like, I know that he's a ridiculous character, but I'm oh, he's like, he's an entirely ridiculous character. But yeah, Parker just makes it work. And then at the end, to bring in Justice Peace, I was just like, oh fuck, I right. know, just really, oh god, that's so good. Um, anyway, <laughs> my point was going to be, so I then yes. bought a shitload of stuff of Comicsology, uh, ah, including did. them, like including all, all the stuff I'm going to talk about. And uh, Wild mm-hmm. Children is. I sent you an email this week uh, where I basically wondered whether the writer of Wild Children was someone taking the piss. 
based mm-hmm. in an interview because he just name dropped so many things and so many people oh, yeah. that I, I was like, I can't believe this is a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read Wild Children and I still kind of can't believe that this isn't a like Chris Morris-esque parody. <laughs> I, I cannot, like I, I'm, because here's the thing, if it's not, this is the most plagiaristic, self-satisfied thing I've read in a long time. Hmm. It is, I kind of want to see other people react to it because my reaction mm-hmm. is so negative. But mm-hmm. I also think that my reaction is negative because I've read The Invisibles, which this is basically, what if I could rip off The Invisibles in t- like 40 pages? Mm-hmm. And so everything in it, I'm like, I could point to the issue of The Invisibles. I could point to the panel of The Invisibles that you're ripping off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I quite believe this is going to be read by people who haven't read The Invisibles and who will be like, holy fuck, I never thought of that before. <laughs> Um, it's it's a it's amazingly self satisfied. It's amazingly convinced that it's being shocking when it's actually being boring. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazingly convinced. It's it's self righteous. Mm-hmm. So it's got very like we are the kids, but that's because we see things you don't understand. But the, we're not your enemy. We just want to help you understand. And here's a man, but he's in a dress. Do you feel threatened? It's like. <laughs> I'm not threatened in the slightest. You know what I mean? It's like, why would I be threatened by that? There, there's just, right. like, it's that level of, am I blowing your mind yet? And so right. you know, the character's being like, we've dosed your coffee with LSD and now we're going to tell you that you're in a comic. What do you think of that? And Wow. Yeah, exactly. And I'm kind of like, oh, I think that you maybe read something that was published like 30 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, there, there's nothing in here this revolutionary there's nothing in here that's original there's nothing in here that's honestly even interesting but i suspect that if you're of a se- if you haven't read the things that i've read that's not the case mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what i mean like it's one of those if you're coming to this cold your mind might be blown by this yeah maybe i mean that's i don't know that's kind of the that's kind of the wheel i mean you know what's ironic is i'm sure there's all sorts of you know Crazed hippies who were saying exactly the same thing when the Invisibles came well, out. That's, that's like, the, and they should have. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. where, exactly. Where's the Invisibles without Moorcock? Where's the Invisibles without Philip K. Dick? Where's the Invisibles without Lindsay Anderson? Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it's all there. I think the difference for me is that Wild Children is ripping off the Invisibles, as opposed to the Invisibles was ripping off multiple sources. Right. Yeah, it's just this one thing. And... It's funny because I feel like his uh, interview almost felt like a smokescreen to make it seem like it was more than one thing, I guess. You know, like it was like, oh, uh, I why it's Warren Ellis and Morrison's Kill Your Boyfriend and more, so much more. Peter Milligan's shopping list and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know what I've just, I just while talking to you, I've just realized... He actually mm-hmm. is ripping off more than the Invisibles. He's ripping off the Invisibles in If. If you've ever seen the Malcolm McDowell film, If. I haven't, but yeah. Um, it's, yeah, there's actually, now that I'm thinking about amazing parallels to If. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. does, this, does this make you feel better or worse about the project? Kind of worse, because I'm not sure he's seen If. Because <laughs> 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 uh, I, th- I think what it's ripping off, what it's sharing with If, I should say, mm-hmm. Um he's getting from the invisibles and from more else to shoot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the way he's framed it, it's mm-hmm. really close to the end of if, 
Hmm. Oh, that's kind of fascinating. Um, I, it's a, it's a terrible, 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 terrible comic. It looks nice. The art by Riley Rosmo is actually really nice. The colors are really nice. Uh, mm-hmm. It writing wise, it's oh, I it's it's something that just makes me feel old. It's something that just makes me think you you're so young and full of anything's possible and I'll prove it but in the way that you are when you're a kid and then like you try something and you fail and you're like oh fuck never mind oh really do you know what I mean funny like the the people who are really like I could do anything and then try and do something and it doesn't work out the way they thought and they're like are not (laughs) that's funny because I you know at least from the the articles he sort of reminds me of a much art uh artsier and fartsier version of those dudes who like created books for image, you know, that were kind of like, yeah, I've got something to say. And what they have to say is basically what if it's spawned, but without the Cape, you know what I mean? Like there's kind of that weird, no, no, it's not that at all. It's, it's, I've got something to say and it's about reality and society. Well, sure, but that's just because of the idea that he read The Invisibles. You know what I mean? It's like the artsy or fartsy. In other words, it's this idea of like, I'm saying something that's really about life, but what you're really saying is just how indebted you are to the books that you read at a certain time of your life without really being able to acknowledge it or do anything original about it, you know? But and still being kind of arrogant enough to being like, yeah, you know. Yeah, like I, I think there's an element of it, but I genuinely think that he thinks that he is making a grand statement as opposed to, I don't know, the way you're phrasing it, I'm imagining someone who is very aware that what they're doing is influenced by something, mm-hmm. but dresses up as making a grand statement. And I think that what's going on here is that they genuinely believe they're making a grand statement and are unaware of how much. No, that I think you and I are talking about exactly the same. Thing. Okay. Because yeah, I'm I'm talking a little bit more about the you know I think the angle from which we're stepping back and looking at it is perhaps a, a slightly skewed, but yeah, we're describing exactly the same thing. Is which is that yeah the, the it's absurdly derivative and the person who's kind of being a a little self important about it, it's kind of doubly appalling because of how indebted it is to its influences. Here's the thing: I think it's the next generation of Matt Fraction. Mm-hmm. I think no, but you know what I mean. Like I feel it, it, the people who are completely blown away by Casanova, mm-hmm. and haven't traced Casanova back to his antecedents, mm-hmm. could mm-hmm. read this and be like, "This is Nets level shit. This is Fraction meets Jonathan Hickman." Right. Oh God. Like with oh, with Lord. no sense of irony or no sense of sarcasm or whatever. Right. Like, or actually, no sense I, of history. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but right. That that. that that happens. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And so I think I think it's going to be really resonant. I, like I I firmly believe that um, the writer of this, whose name is Alice Cott, uh, mm-hmm. is going to end up writing a Marvel book in two years, and it's going to be heralded as like the next big thing. Oh yeah. Um, and it's I don't know. It's there's just nothing there's nothing inspiring or interesting in this book for me at all. And I, I don't know why I'm disappointed because I read that interview and I was like, oh, God, this sounds terrible. This sounds mm-hmm. absolutely atrocious. And it is. So on mm-hmm. one hand, I feel like you should be like, well, it's what I expected. What can you do? <laughs> but I was still somehow like, oh, well, I, 
I understand that feeling because there are times where I found a certain amount of kind of insufferable PR and then I've looked at stuff and I'm kind of like, well, there's something there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. At least that's sort of a, it's a, it's a weird um, tonic, uh, I suppose, or salve upon the wounds, I suppose. Uh, yes. Well, hmm. Uh, what else did you pick up that... Uh, you wish to talk about let's see i picked up a, a fair let's see uh oh the eddie campbell book which i told you about which was mm-hmm. really good um mm-hmm. you know what it is right the lovely horrible stuff and it's about money but it's not really yes uh it's it's essentially another eddie campbell slash alec so he talks about the television show that never happened mm-hmm. um and the creation of his batman graphic novel and oh, great how that how that made him have to form a corporation, which was kind of fascinating. Um, he apparently had to form a corporation so that he was able to write and draw something for DC. Apparently they told him that he could not write and draw the same project unless he was incorporated. Wow. I know, it's kind of fascinating, right? Um, it's full of very Eddie Campbell moments, if you like Alec. Actually, that's not, that's not true. If you liked how to be an artist, I would say yes, Alec. Right. Because mm-hmm. they, they they're really close, but they're not the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you like that, you, you will love this book. I think it's better than how to be an artist. Um, oh, that's great. So I, I, was, I was very deeply in favor of that. Um, mm-hmm. What else? Action Comics, which came out a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I, that I was kind of underwhelmed by for that, the most part. I was not. Mm, uh, I thought it was very clearly a second chapter, if that makes sense. Like it, it yes. suffered in comparison with the issue before because it's the – and here's what happened next as opposed to here's the thing you didn't see coming. Right. Um, but there's still enough that I liked. I, I liked the shout out to Mr. Mixopitalik in there. And I mm-hmm, love that mm-hmm. he's building that really slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even even not just building it slowly, but with a certain degree of red herrings. Like this is about the there's a you know this is about the stage where there's been like three different possible Mister Pitzelik connections, right? Yeah, but I think they're all the same thing. Yeah, I think they'll end up being so too. Like when the girl's talking about what if everything could have every possible name, and what if they could say it backwards? Yes. There was, I don't know. There's just something about that that was like, that is going to, that's a line that's going to pay off. Yes. That's exactly. a line that's going oh, to pay absolutely. off months mm-hmm. from now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I like the, I like, I don't know. I just, I liked a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I liked it. I just, why, I was just, but I, I think mm-hmm. I feel that it kind of had to in order mm-hmm. an explanation, if that makes sense. I, I think yeah. in, when you have to open the story up, you're not going to have the shock of the new. You're not going to have the, ta-da, he's dead thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you, you've, you've, there has to be something that comes after the ta-da, he's dead. And mm-hmm. I think I thought mm-hmm. that this issue was actually really nice. Mm-hmm. Follow up on that. It, it wasn't as, well, I didn't see that coming. What's he going to do next? But mm-hmm. uh, I'm okay with that. I'm, I, you know, I, I mm-hmm. will take that. Um, Infernal Man thing. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not going to get you to break your Marvel fast. Mm, yes, but okay. I'll give you. The, I'll give you the negative first. This is quite clearly a graphic novel that they've pissed on by splitting into three. Um, oh, it's really 
very clearly meant to be read as a as a oneer, just from this mm-hmm. first issue alone. Mm-hmm. It's also something that I think when you read it in a oneer is going to be great. Mm. Uh, you know what you know what the setup is, or don't you? I do, in the sense that it was one of Gerber's last scripts uh, before he passed. It was something that had been in the works for a long time, and it is somewhere between a remake and a sequel to the what Song is it? Cry of the Living of the Living Dead Man. Yes, exactly. Which is actually partially reprinted in the back. Interesting. But only partially. Oh yeah, sure. of course. I, they're, yeah, they're yeah. going to do it. So that I think that's going to be serialized over the three issues as well. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I think uh, would be part of me would love to see Gerber come back and do something with that because I remember that story as being such a prototypical angry young man story, and also. Um, one of those stories that I think made a huge impression when it came out, but as I recall, it has a lot of the, if, I, if I'm thinking of the right story, is actually suffers a lot from the, the sort of hysterical Stanley overwrittenness of the time, you know? Um, so I'd, I'd be curious to see what it's like if he taking it in our swing at it. It feels very personal. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's it's really hard to say because there's only a third of the story, and it feels like a third of the story. It's definitely mm-hmm. not. It doesn't feel like a, a chapter. It literally feels mm-hmm. like just like, and we're done for this issue, mm-hmm. and pulling it off stage, which is really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Owens' art is beautiful. Oh yeah, really. Just I mean, drop dead gorgeous, stunning, stunning stuff. It mm-hmm. has a. They've given it an R. Adams cover, which is like horrendous <laughs> if that makes sense it's just so totally mm-hmm. totally different from kevin Owens art inside it, it's kind of offensive and i right. i'm depressed that you know the the collection is going to have the art adam's cover and not kevin mm-hmm. nolan cover which it, it deserves mm-hmm. um you can also tell that it's a long time coming because it has four assistant editors and two editors <laughs> yeah, uh, i can imagine it's just I don't know. I I really liked it, but I was also like, I'm not going to buy the next few issues. I'm going to wait till the collection's out. Because mm-hmm. it was an extremely frustrating read because they do just cut it off. Right. But there was also, I don't know, there's there's really something, there's something in there that feels really personal. And mm-hmm. because it's uh, Gerber, I don't know, I find that really interesting. I've, I always found it interesting when he was writing about himself, even if he was going, it's really this character, but it's quite clearly him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 I put it this way, I read it and I was like, this is the sort of thing Jeff would love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I'm sure but I on, would. only when it's collected, so. Well, and and again, there's the horrible irony is that, that I, I always found myself kind of going into this, this Marvel fast with this idea of like, yeah, Gerber would understand, he'd approve. And and being like, this is like one of the few products that I've been tempted with where I'm really like, oh, how ironic if I end up missing like one of the last things that the guy has to say, at least for some period of time, who knows how long, you know, uh, uh, because of it. It's just kind of it's an irony. Uh, it's also the sort of irony that I don't ha- I think that I'm not going to have to worry about coming my way too often, you know, so you never know. 
Just wait. True. Yeah, that day exactly. going to be like, Alan Moore comes back to Bayshoe Comics at Marvel. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, no. Yeah. No, I think I'll be fine. Um, what else? Uh, what? Else? Not that much. Double Barrel, which I talked about. Punk Rock Jesus, actually. Yeah, how was that? Uh, it's really weird. I Well, I read it through, first of all, and I hated it. Mm, mm-hmm. Hated it with a passion. And the more mm-hmm. I think about it, the more I like it. So I've mm-hmm. gone from thinking, this is a beautifully illustrated, horrendously written book, to this is a beautifully illustrated book that has terrible dialogue and a lack of subtlety, but potentially a really interesting idea, depending on where the story goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually very much like Well Children. It's making straw men out of really broad targets. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they've cloned Jesus using DNA from the Turin Shrouds, and a corporation's going to make them. Aren't corporations evil? <laughs> Which is kind of like, oh, God, really? That's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. That's right. your story? Um, and the execution is that subtle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, here's the corporation's box. He's called Rich Richman. He's, he's not. I should say that right now. He's not actually got rid. Oh, thank you, um, Jesus. But it, but it, it is pretty much like, for example, their security chief is ex IRA. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh really? Oh. <laughs> um, and the the baby that's born is a girl, and so they can't have that, so they kill her. You know, it's like, oh shit, really? Um, <laughs> Actually, I might be misremembering if it's a girl or if they just were worried about it if it's a girl. Anyway, they, they do away with the baby, even though the baby is quite clearly not dead. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's, there's that level of, of not especially subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sean Murphy's art kind of gets you past a lot of that. Do you know what I mean? You're like, that's just beautiful. <laughs> that guy mm-hmm. can draw. Hey. <laughs> Seriously, I was reading it and I was like, this is appalling. If there's anything else, I would stop reading. However, I want to see what he's going to do drawing-wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it really suffers from being in black and white. I really miss the color. Mm, interesting. In um, I, yeah, I, I ultimately wish that he'd found a scripter and that he'd had a colorist. Mm. Hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I just looked at a few sample pages and the, at least the sample pages... I felt the black and white gave it a lot more energy than I was sort of, I don't know, as you would want a project called Punk Rock Jesus to be, I guess. So there was a stage where I was like looking at it, I'm like, oh, this looks, you know, it it at least looked right, I suppose. You know, it's like, I I suppose my comparison point was that Mark Miller, Peter Sneersberg. No, you're Peter Gross. You're thinking of Chosen, right? Yeah, thank you. I am. Yeah, I was like, uh, yeah, Peter Gross book, which just somehow never, maybe, maybe actually it worked for for the the tone of what what Miller was going for. But I remember thinking that that was kind of too too tame a choice, um, even even considering the the various twists that he had throwing out there. So looking at Punk Rock Jesus, I was like, okay, this has a lot of has a lot of energy and a lot of anarchy, and might well be. Sort of worth reading. Did you ever? You, I don't suppose you ever saw the movie Jesus of Montreal. Did you? I did not. I remember that movie being massive, but I never saw yeah. it. Oh, interesting. It's one of those that I stumbled across. I, I saw it in a rep house theater, like after it had played and played, and I have no idea why I ended up seeing it because it, it seemed a little too. I'm like, eh, 
heavy-handed, but really a really good film. And uh, that was one of those, like, um, one of those movies that, because the the idea of it is it's about this this priest who um, it basically gets funding to uh, update the traditional passion plays. And so he hires this one actor to reinterpret the passion plays in the gospel of Jesus for a new narrative, um, for a new audience and a more modern audience. And as the actor, you know, assembles his various people from the theater world and draws them together, he becomes more and more obsessed with it. And the, the great thing is, is that you realize, you know, it's not a very subtle thing, of course, but that at a certain point, you're like, oh, right, like, that really is not a, that is a way to describe sort of what Jesus did, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so it ends, you realize that it's actually, in it's very casual, and it, they make it very, you know, light and comic-y as they, before they start dragging down in some, some of the, the heavier acting and the heavier shit hitting the fan. Uh, it, it really does a great job of, of being entertaining and then making you think about some of this stuff. And so it's kind of that, I guess that's my standard for the, you know, it's like, it's kind of a shame that punk rock Jesus, like, I wish it had a little more punk rock to it and a little less of the, you know, the stuff that you sound that that really just sounds like a discarded Wachowski Brothers screenplay. You know what I mean? It well, it, you know, it's it could totally be your thing. I, it's, it's here's the thing. It's very possible that both Wild Children and Punk Rock Jesus are spectacular books. They're definitely getting a lot of praise, mm-hmm. and I, they're just not to my taste. It's really, mm-hmm. really possible. Well, yeah, but I suspect that I don't know. Despite the varying ways in which you cut left and I cut right, I, I suspect we would both sort of i i'm i'm suspect that i would be pretty aligned with your opinions on these so um. so there's something i want to bring up that someone asked me in the comments of a post recently which was mm-hmm. why did i end up liking the rucka punisher collection when i didn't like the first issue oh yeah right um because i've been thinking about that and i think what it is is i feel like the first issue reinforced the idea of the punisher and the rest of the collection is very much a deconstruction and condemnation of the legend of the Punisher. <sighs> really? That's kind of the least that I guess that's probably I'm like, Oh no, but think about it. You like the Punisher and I don't. So that, yeah, exactly. that's why it appeals to me and it doesn't appeal to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really funny. So how so, if you don't mind me asking and you know, I'll try and keep my groans and eye rollings to a minimum. Cause I am kind of curious. Um, uh, not not in an uns- not in a horrible like the Punisher is evil way, um, mm-hmm. but much more in a the Punisher is a lonely man who doesn't know how to operate within society way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the fact that it's turning, I want to, her name is Rachel Cole, but I can't remember because it's been a couple of weeks since I read it. Into another Punisher, right. it's sort of doing it by proxy. It's sort of doing it by showing you how messed up she is. Mm-hmm. And how she is rejecting society, and how also the Punisher uses people around him. Mm-hmm. So it's it's much more implication as opposed to you know someone comes on panel and says that guy's just messed up. Wink. It's it's <laughs> it's it's much more you know the implication is this man is is not well. Right. Right. 
which is interesting. Uh, I, I, you know, it's funny. I almost feel like I wish they had figured out a way and, and, uh, I, I don't mean to point any, um, I don't mean to condemn Rucka for this because it makes sense that Rucka would go that way. And I can actually see ways in which he would do it well, even if it's not, even if it's not necessarily what I'm interested in at this time, because in part, I almost feel like the Punisher like Daredevil has gone so far down that path. It would be interesting to have somebody flip that around. You know what I mean? But how, how do you flip it around? I don't know. I mean, I... I oh, you, can, you can't have, like, happy, smiling Punisher. Do you know what I mean? Well, but people would have said that about Daredevil before. No, but you... No, you but you're saying you can because the Punisher kills people. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, the Pun- you can't have a Punisher who's socially well-adjusted because the fact that he's maladjusted is part of the the DNA of the character. That's like saying... I don't know. You can have a Batman who doesn't, who isn't driven by the death of his parents. Yeah, but haven't you enjoyed Goofy Batman? Sure, but uh, okay. This is this is my morality coming into play here. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can't have a character who routinely routinely kills people mm-hmm. and not have some element of there is a reason they do that and it is wrong in there. And I think if you have a happy, smiley Punisher who makes quips all the time and yet still kills people, mm-hmm. like there's something broken in that concept. Mm. Well, well, whereas that's not, that's not the case in Daredevil because Daredevil mm-hmm. can just like be a blind superhero and be well-adjusted. Do you know what I mean? I, there's, yes. there's, he's not doing anything that is, um, I don't want to say morally objectionable, but I mean morally objectionable. Right. Right. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not saying look because I don't. If this is this is one of those situations where I'm asking the question without knowing the answer. But yeah, no, that that, that that's why answer. I ask. Like, how do mm-hmm. how do you flip that around for the Punisher? Because I don't think you can. I think the only way you can do that is go the route that they did for a while in what the 80s or 70s, where it's like mm-hmm. he's firing non non lethal rounds, right? And that right. that kills the character as well in a different way. Yeah, I wouldn't – I just feel like there's got to be something that is actually in between those two. And I don't necessarily know if that it's something that I'd want to see or there's a way that it would make it work. I mean, certainly there isn't a way that it would make it work for you. But as you pointed out, since you don't really like the Punisher, I'm not really sure that that's – Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think – I think the idea of being like, how can we make the, make the Punisher palatable to people who don't like the core concept of the character is a right. way to go. Yes, yeah, I agree. I, the, but I I think the trick is how do we rework the character so that we're not retelling the same stories? Yeah. That does not yeah, exactly. betray the DNA of the character. Mm-hmm. Well, or just find something else to emphasize for a while. Because believe me, I am like a guy who's very, you know, you've heard me rant and rave through pretty much every issue of Jason Aaron's Punisher run uh, and enjoyed Ennis's run before it. He's had a <laughs> the Punisher's had a good long run where the fucked upness of that character has been pretty heavily accentuated. Okay, but so, here's what I think might be different. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think of this the other day and I couldn't quite get it right in my head. So I'm going to, you can help me work this out. Okay. I feel that Ennis and Aaron, when they were doing that, mm-hmm. were still somehow writing a macho narrative. Mm hmm. 
and we're not we're not somehow condemning violence in a way that I think Rucka is. Does that make sense? I, I feel that... Yes, no, it's like, very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think that's the difference. And I think it's also mm-hmm. one of the reasons why you would not like the Rucka run. I think the Rucka... Because as you know, I've been in a major like rereading everything by Rucka thing recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Rucka has a really complicated relationship to violence as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and a complicated relationship to people who choose violence as a path mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way that Ennis clearly doesn't uh, and Aaron doesn't, I don't think. Well, I, I think. I think Ennis is too in love with so many macho narratives mm-hmm. that he has a blind spot. And I, I think, to be fair, I think Rucka has a blind spot in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I honestly I think that that it's almost uh, and I mean I wouldn't know, but I have a sneaking suspicion that that it's um that it's more or less exactly the same stated sort of goals and beliefs, but you can tell that one of them has more appreciation for it. You know what I mean? Like appreciation for uh, what? For for the for the the macho-ness and the violence of it, I suppose. You know, I, I honestly do feel that Ennis is has a, has a tremendous love for the macho narrative. He's also very well aware of the way in which it's a destructive force. But how do I put it? It's the way in which um, an alcoholic talking about how alcohol is destructive carries a little bit more weight than somebody who doesn't drink argues that alcohol is destructive. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, they're I, both, I, I think in a they're both they're, right, you know? They're, yeah, I, they're I both think Raka has a, a, a moral condemnation, in a way, that, mm-hmm. that Ennis doesn't. But I... I, I what? what? I, I just... I, I Unfortunately, I feel like there's a lot of stories where that's not... I don't... I, I don't think that that's actually the case, or... or but... I just think that it gives a it gives him a hard on in a way that makes it a little uncomfortable and maybe makes it seem a little perhaps disingenuous, but actually I feel isn't and doesn't in a way that you would maybe not agree with. Oh no, I, actually, it's funny so. that you say that because I, I've been reading all the Atticus Kodiak novels he wrote, mm-hmm. uh, and you have not read them, right? No, I haven't. So. There's seven novels. Mm-hmm. In the start. And I'm going to spoil the novels for people. I'm sorry, but they're also, at this point, the newest one is still three years old. So I don't feel very guilty for it. Um, In the start, Atticus Kodiak is a bodyguard. Mm -hmm. And he is is the stereotypical good man in a bad world, for want of a better way to put it. Um, By the end of the series, Mm -hmm. he has abandoned his friends and family. Mm Mm-hmm fallen in love with a former assassin and been trained as an assassin who doesn't kill. Mm -hmm. That journey is, if you read all the novels, is actually not true. If you read all the novels in general, that journey is very problematic. If you read all the novels as quickly together as I did, it's Mm -hmm. horrifically problematic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does feel that at some point, 
Rucker was like, this stuff's awesome. Mm-hmm. And betrayed the series. Mm-hmm. And betrayed the mm-hmm. characters. And so the idea of, of the, the um, condemning while having a hard-on, I think is really appropriate for Rucker. I, I think that I think that he does do that, and uh, and I think that I'm not sure that the Punisher does mm-hmm. necessarily, but I, it's definitely a, a, a something he does in his work a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it it's one of these hilarious things is that we're both like I think we both read on you've read enough Ennis and I've read enough Rucka to where we can kind of talk about it, but you've read obviously far more Rucka and I feel like I've read a lot more Ennis to where I almost feel like for all we for all I know you and I could be describing exactly the same stance I just feel that it re I know that it reads differently let's put it that way no I and I I, and I agree that that it reads differently and I think that what's also happening is the different authors play into our mindsets differently as well Mm -hmm. and so we read them differently Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm and yeah, that, so that could be. It, like mm-hmm. our our intent as readers really comes into play in a yeah. way that it, it makes the two of us discussing this difficult because mm-hmm. we could be talking about exactly the same thing and exactly the same authorial intent. But I'm like, that's great. And you're like, now I, I have real problems with it or vice versa. <laughs> Do you know what well, I mean? yes, exactly. I, no, I, I think that both of us understand mm-hmm. what Ennis does, mm-hmm. but – I find it really problematic, whereas you are able to look at it and say, well, I think it's got real value. Well, yeah, well, there's that. But I do also feel that maybe over a much longer period of time, I feel that Ennis has felt, you know, uh, I think it's really hard to talk about Ennis without talking about um, the influence of Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven on him and pretty much throughout his work. And I think Eastwood's Unforgiven is uh, uh, is a, a movie that talks very explicitly about the lie of the macho narrative. I think, and and Ennis has been is aware of it to lesser and greater degrees. I just feel that as time goes on, and it, and I think it's during a period where you've read him less, he has laid a lot more emphasis on the idea on the. The, the, not necess- not so much the destructiveness of the narrative, but the resulting destruction on the people who live that life. I suppose. I, I, yeah, but I also think he romanticizes that still. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Right. I think that he can have a. Everything has gone to shit, but that undercuts the everything has gone to shit to an extent for me. I can see that. But like I said, I feel that it's, yeah, but the, the, but is something that, um, for me kind of deepens it because it had, it's closer to sort of that Sam Peckinpah, uh, kind of take on violence that is while repudiating it is also too much in love with it to essentially, convincingly repudiate exactly yeah. that yeah so you and i are in complete agreement because that's that's what i have you will yeah but you sort of see that as a as a failure no, and that, I that's, sort of... no that's what i'm saying so that's i think the difference is in that the way we view that 
I see. Okay. Yes. So, then so yeah. My, so the, my problem is that I think that undercuts it, and you think that reinforces it, or at least adds extra depth to it. Yes, depending on depending on how that that but dot 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 is utilized. Yes, I think so. I'm glad we've come to that conclusion. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I because I, I that's what I mean. Like I think that we are both perfectly aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. what that means for us is such a different thing. And that is true, it, and I think the same is true with Rucker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that Rucker's approach, which is definitely not that approach, mm-hmm. is runs the risk of some sort of like weird voyeuristic thrill of con- like having your cake and eating it, condemning it while also being like, "Look at this! Isn't this shameful? Isn't this terrible? But look at it." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, can be holier than thou, can be hypocritical. And it really depends on how much you value the commentary within the uh, torture porn, I guess, mm-hmm. as opposed to the torture porn itself. Like, how much is how much is the message overwhelmed by the delivery? Mm. Right. Well, uh, yeah, it could be. I mean, I my feeling, and I could be absolutely proven to be wrong about it, is is I do feel that. Um, Rucka's decision to distance himself from it has a makes it I, I usually end up it ends up feeling a little more static for me. It ends up feeling like I'm you know, I, I think most creators get to the point where it almost seems like they're telling the the same story over and over again, I suppose. Uh I sort of feel sometimes that um you know, the difference is if, you, you know, if you're a fan of the person, you, you end up feeling like, oh, they're really describing, you know, they're describing the elephant by grabbing a different limb, I suppose, you know. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I feel, and this may not be true, because honestly, my follow through with Ruckus narratives is an incredibly low percentage, is I really feel like it's sort of seen... It's like, okay, I think I'm going to see exactly the same thing here. I don't even feel like I'm, there's a different part of the elephant being grabbed. It's like, and here's uh, – it's going to be the trunk again. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, and here's the rock of float. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. I, like mm-hmm. I said, I've been in a major rock of rereads um, recently. So I've, I've, I just to put this in context, I've read all of the Atticus Kodiak novels. I've read mm-hmm. the Fistful of Rain novel. I've read a short story in The Blue Religion. Uh both Whiteout books and Stumptown. Wow. In the process wow. of, oh, and his Electra run. <laughs> Good in, Lord, in, really? In like the last month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, his Electra run, by the way, is possibly the most weirdly problematic comic Oh, run. it's really, the, the, really the, rough, the, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, it's the most compromised mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. the end. The end is kind of hilarious. It's it's really like they it's as if they cancelled the book and they're like, listen, can you just put the toys? Back? Yeah, totally. Can you put the toys back? We don't really care how, but do it. Yeah, I remember that last issue being yeah, really weirdly kind of like, well, this doesn't work. As I think pretty much what the character all but says, and so yeah, no, it's hilarious. So they, they spent mm-hmm. like six six issues of Electra being like, I am going to try and you know break away from my addiction to violence and the last three pages her being like fuck it and then just killing people and then be like that's it I can't do it the end right and exactly that pretty much is like that 
base. I'm not mm-hmm. exaggerating that it really is like the last battle is there some, saying something like I failed the end. Oh yeah, like down down to the last two pages. Yeah, agreed. Because I, I was reading those. Maybe that was the problem. Was I really caught Rucka at I think a really uh, at a weak point, which was his period at you know Jemis's New Marvel. I think he was not a. I don't know. I see, and this is it. I don't even think it was a bad match for him, but coming at the time it did, I walked away with it going kind of a yeah. Well, I guess I really, you know, I guess I was wrong about it after Detective Comics. I guess I really don't like Greg Rucka that much. Oh, you no, know, because that is possibly the worst Rucka I've read. It, mm-hmm. It's it's horrifically compromised. Are you going to read his uh, his uh, his and Robertson's Wolverine? Uh, if I can find the collection, sure. Yeah, you should check it out. I bet I'm willing to bet it's Wolverine. It probably got collected. I think I'd be curious to see what you think of it because it's. I don't remember how long it is. I want to say it's maybe 21 issues. Yeah, it was not. short. I seem to remember. Yeah, because it. Because uh, again, wasn't that something that pretty much got like and you're done? Did Did he actually yeah. leave to go to Mar- to DC or something? Did he send a DC exclusive? Is that why Electra ends so weirdly? Uh, you know, honestly, I think he uh, maybe, but I think I think honestly, there was a lot of discontent there. I mean, there was very much. Uh, if I remember correctly, I get the sense that Rucka was brought in uh, with very much this idea of like, yeah, we want you to give us that Barton Fink feeling, and he's did it and they were kind of like yeah we we were kind of hoping that you would do this with you know like with the wolverine we wanted a very greg rugga you know wolverine but maybe with more stabbing and snickting and maybe a couple of supervillains. and it was that same thing with Derek robertson which was a shame where they were like it's you know they hired Derek robertson and they're like yeah only you got to make him look more like hugh jackman you know and robertson was like what? I, I, I kind of I kind of feel like Marvel has a tendency to do that. Mm-hmm. We love what you're doing. Could you do more like this? Yeah, exactly. This is perfect, dude. Just like this, except more like the movie that's coming out in six months, and you're perfect. So I kind of got the sense that Rucka, in the midst of doing Wolverine, Electra, and if I remember correctly, maybe some sort of ultimate Daredevil meets ultimate Electra type thing, was right at the stage of doing a variety of things that that were really him, but at some point felt a lot of pressure to change it up and was kind of like, you know, honestly, I think I would rather, you know, end up because over at DC, he actually, I felt did do some stuff that was not necessarily out of his wheelhouse, but very, very different from the DC rocket work that had come before, you know? I think Ruck is a really weird creator, though. Oh, yeah. He's he's really strange. Um, like, you can never quite tell what his interest is. Really? I always feel like his interests are kind of right up there on the page, in a way. Yeah, but then he does something like like his Superman run. Mm-hmm. Or his then later Action Comics run. Like, I feel yeah. like he tries to step outside. Like, the Lady Saber webcomic as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I always feel like he throws something like that out there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? Like, where does this come from? Does that make sense? I don't know. I'm not sure that I entirely do because I sort of feel like, uh, 
and this could be this could be totally wrong, but I feel like Greg Rucka is like you give him anything and he's going to give you the Greg Rucka take on it. So it's like we want you to do a Superman story. It's like great. It's going to be through the eyes of a strong female protagonist. Uh, there's going to be a lot of really nuts and bolts about how something works. You know, kind of behind the scenes of people working hard to do a thing. Uh, And then there's going to be a sense of having the character be challenged on the very moral firmament from which, you know, he or she stands, you know, and it's like and I can give you to that in cyberpunk. I can give it to you in Batman flavor, Wonder Woman flavor or Superman flavor, you know, and uh, admittedly, I could be in entirely wrong on that but reading lady saber i was like oh boy this is going to be great it to me it was kind of like he's like haha i'm going to be doing my dashing swashbuckling light-hearted rogue comic except i'm not really that light-hearted or dashing and so it's going to feel kind of leaden and maybe i'm you know again that's i think where my biases come in because i well, was kind of he, like, well here's the thing i i jumped off lady saber Mm-hmm. really early because I just couldn't it was too slow for me yeah like was, I even waited I even wrong. waited a while and was like I'm gonna read like the first three weeks mm-hmm. and even then it was like this is the world's slowest thing imaginable this is the this is the slowest comic I've ever read in my life and possibly the slowest comic that has ever existed yeah yeah and so yeah. I can't really speak to whether Lady Saber did that beyond the high like I know the high concept of Lady Saber but I haven't read right. the comic no I'm the same way I read I think I read the first sequence if that and I was just like I am I can't do it I felt I felt like it was wrong it was not bless their hearts it did not feel like a webcomic to me actually oh yeah and, no, it, it really doesn't it's, it's got really it doesn't here's the thing it doesn't feel like a webcomic but it also doesn't feel like a comic comic because the pacing is so weird do you know what i mean like there there's there's panels where it's, there's nothing there mhm mm-hmm. and you'll be like and here's today's panels and it's like two panels of like you know a spaceship and a close up of a spaceship right exactly and it's like, like even ah, in, and it's like even mm-hmm. in a book mm-hmm. this would be far too slow right it, I don't know. There's just there's weird. It's it's incredibly weirdly paced. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I I agree. So yeah, there's there's a variety of stuff. You know, I think in a way, I think Rucka's weirdly. I wonder if the guy just doesn't suffer from pacing problems. I don't know because I haven't read enough stuff. But I will say this is this thing with Greg Rucka. Greg Rucka, not to my taste, right? You know, like mm. and yet part of me thinks that he should be huge, you know? Like, I honestly can't figure out why Greg Rucka isn't enormous uh, in a way. Because, Because, honestly, I feel that Greg Rucka's interests are... Um, that, the, that his, like... The views that he has, the story, and the way he wants to tell stories is so completely lined up with the way that popular culture is and should be going. You know what I mean? Like, like I just honestly feel... Like, I, I always applaud the fact that the guy is, like, 
I have my female protagonists. They're strong characters, but they are flawed and they are, you know, multivalent. And I feel like they're, they tend to be kind of all of a type for, for Rucka and therefore not necessarily interesting to me, but I kind of feel that in a, in the greater world where Janet Ivanovich is like one of the biggest authors in the United States, that he should be huge. You know what I mean? Like Greg Rucka should be writing the remake of the movie, The Bodyguard, and he should already have, you know, the ABC should be in its third season of it, the Terror Chase TV show. You know what I mean? And I, I don't understand why that's not the case. Cause I feel like he is like, I just feel like he's like everything. He's so aligned with the zeitgeist in so many ways and still not doesn't connect in a way, you know what I mean? Oh, I, I feel that he's, I feel the problem is that he's really close to being aligned to the zeitgeist, mm-hmm. but is, is never going to be aligned to the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel that uh, I feel that there's some sort of see. I'm going to say this, and it sounds terrible, and I'm bizarrely mean it as a compliment. I feel mm-hmm. there's such a stubborn self righteousness about Ruckus' work that is mm-hmm. incredibly off putting, and mm-hmm. it stops it being so mainstream. Mm. Hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it does make sense. I, for whatever reason, I don't necessarily think that that's it, but but you could be right, because I'm definitely pretty out of touch with the mainstream mice. I feel like, like, like I, I feel that between the two of us, I would put it on you. You know, to I be feel that mainstream that. entertainment in general as mm-hmm. piece, um, is more about comforting. Yeah, it's it's I more. Feel com- that, I feel that Rucka, if he thought his work was comforting, mm-hmm. would have a shit fit and do something even to the detriment of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's so alien to his concept of who he is as a writer. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It could be. It could just be. Uh, it could just be like that thing where it's like. You know, it's like, but Graham, the entire country loves chocolate, but the entire country loves milk chocolate, and Rucka prides himself on being dark chocolate. Yeah, and like, I'm the darkest chocolate of all. Right. Well, yeah, I suppose, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's my thing. I never quite feel that, you know. I never quite, and I should read his books, but I never see him end up because of his various beliefs and how they balance out. I kind of don't but, see but it him. Could just, but it could just be that you're not interested in that. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, okay. it's, there's nothing wrong with him or you if it's just not to your taste. Oh, no, no, no. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. I'm just saying, as somebody whose idea of... I, I'm just... My thing is, is like, I'm like, sure, dark chocolate... Let's not get carried away and call it the very darkest chocolate ever. Because I, no, I think, think that that's where we see myself. As chocolate. Sure, yeah. And that may be, but I don't mean that he is. Okay. Well that's that's, that, that's, that's I mean, all I need, exactly. That's what I mean by the stubbornness. I see. That's what you're saying in terms of the he would distance himself from Yes. He would I he see. would want to be mm-hmm. as opposed to he is. Right. Okay, fair enough. Oh dear. 
Greg Rucka. Well, I'm glad you answered that question for that, the listener. That, yeah, that was a, a wonderful tangent we went on. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> and I have to say, Graham, I have to warn you, uh, I got to wrap this sucker up in a very short period of time as the missus and I are off to see that uh, little indie movie that came out the other week called Spider-Man. So I, I've heard it's wonderful. I've heard the performances are exquisite. <laughs> I can't that's kind of what I was you want. watching Transformers the other day. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, you know, the thing that's sad is, is I know that because this is the thing. Edie wants to see it. I know she likes Spider-Man generally, but it is like I was talking to her. She's like, I want to see this because I really, you know, we watched uh, Boy A and the first Red Riding and and we saw uh, Andrew Garfield in the social network. And I think she she is a fan. She would want to see him in what he was doing if it was in the theaters, no matter what it is. Oh, no, I, I'd say like my interest in. The Amazing Spider-Man is pretty much around the fact of I'd be really curious to see what Andrew Garfield's like, and I'd be really curious to see what his chemistry is with Emma Stone. Exactly. Like that's exactly. kind of that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I want. So, really, our bars are set very low. But that being said, it does give us eight minutes for either closing comments or for or for us to jam more reviews down uh, our viewers' throats. Uh, well, I'm I'm out of things I've read. Well, you know, honestly, I don't think I really have anything interesting to say about Walking Dead 100. So maybe, maybe. But you're going to spoil the shit week. out of it. Come on. Well, I was going to. I was like, oh boy, if nothing else, I can spoil it for people. Let's wait one more week because at that point, I think that I'll have uh, something to say. Um, I do think. Did, did you read the story on Bleeding Cool about the guy who like lost his comic book collection in a bet over The Walking Dead? Did you? Did you? <laughs> no. What? It's kind of it's a story. It would not surprise me if it was cooked up almost from the cockles of of Robert Kirkman himself in a way, even though it doesn't reflect well on him. But essentially, this guy wrote in and said, "Yeah, I had a friend. I loved The Walking Dead, and I had a friend who I tried to keep getting into it, and he finally quit around issue sixty, and he basically thought that it was crap, and he said." It's so obvious what Kirkman is going to do, and they essentially made a bet where the guy wrote down, basically told him and wrote down what Kirkman was going to do, and he's like, if he does this, they agreed. If he did this, had this happen in the book by the end of issue 100, this guy would get the other guy's comic book collection, and I have no idea what was going to happen if he didn't do it. Anyway, so the guy wrote in and was like, and I was... Free and clear until the last four pages of Walking Dead 100. And now this really? guy has my entire collection of comics. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a fun story in that way. They don't actually say what it was. But um, it was sort of a fun story. I'm like, huh, I'll be kind of curious. You know, I'm always bad with these things. I had a friend who um, her husband was notorious for... At the beginning, before they would go into any M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan movie, he would like write the ending on uh, an index card and oh, seal it in an envelope and give it to his wife, and she, and she wouldn't read it. And then they would walk out, and then she would open it up and read it. And he was like dead on every time, which I thought was great. Um, and I wish I had that kind of sort of like, um, I don't know. You know, even when I see what's coming, sometimes I don't necessarily, I'm not always like, and then the person's, you know, socks are going to be lavender kind of thing. That being said, 
the ending of Walking Dead 100 to me is kind of problematic because I feel like what this guy did was like, oh, it's obvious that this is going to happen. And it's basically the shocking death of a character in a book where, where characters are shockingly killed all the time. Exactly. And so part of me kind of feels like, I don't really think that that's so you can have my comic collection worthy. But like I said, maybe we'll talk about that more next time. Because apart from that, I don't think that I have anything particularly to say other than I read the book and my two thoughts were, huh, I enjoy this. And B, huh, Graham would not enjoy this. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that in a, oh, I'm secretly prodding you to go read it. I just don't think that there would <laughs> yeah, be I, I, To be honest, I wouldn't. Because it's issue yeah. 100 of a series that I haven't read for, you know, God, 70 of those issues. So therefore, I, like, it could be the greatest reveal ever. And it, if it relies on anything that's been established over the last... Oh, let's call it five years that it'll be dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. I, okay, I, I have something to ask you on in the last five minutes of the podcast then. Okay. What do you think about the Neil Gaiman Sandman rumor? Um, I Part of me finds it hard to believe, I'll be honest. Like, or, or rather, I guess there's part of me, and this sounds completely absurd, but there's kind of me, part of me that would be really disappointed in Neil Gaiman if it was true. That's kind of my response. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's widespread for everyone else. But part of me is kind of like, you know, if there's anyone who's actually done a really pretty good job of... You know, while keeping his nicest guy in comics hat on of talking about, you know, what justifying Alan Moore's various views for him throughout the period of things. uh, I think that it would be kind of crass in the in the wake of before Watchmen for Neil Gaiman. Exactly. My that's me. Exactly. I'm really at the I'm at the this would be stunning if true. And DC could quite happily, like, rock around the con and be like, I'm sorry, Marvel now? What was that? But yeah. I would be so weirdly disappointed in Neil Gaiman if it's true. Yeah, 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 me too. And again, it's weirdly disappointed because I'm not a huge fan. I'm not incredibly invested in the guy. But yeah, it's like, really? Dude? Because, I mean, you know, Gaiman just two or three days ago signed uh, a, five a contract. contract with Harper book, yeah. yeah, which has got to be, you know, a huge chunk load of money. It's not like the guy needs the dosh, you know? It's not yeah, like no, he's going to be... It's all... I mean, it's it's really... Even I, Amanda I, I, Palmer can't be that high maintenance, is what I'm saying. <laughs> wow, really? And maybe I'll play Kanye West's gold digger at this point in the podcast, just to be a total dick about it, so... <laughs> Um, I know that bombshell. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, no, that was that was kind of uncalled for. But I really had that moment of that's the almost the literally the only thing I could think of that Neil Gaiman, you know, unless he like was like, hey, somebody didn't pay their taxes for the last 15 years. Ho, ho, ho. Or, hey, somebody really needs to buy their way out of Scientology now. Ho, ho, ho. I really can't think of any reasons why he would need that much money that he'd be like, well, you really did my friend Alan Moore some severe dirt, but 
I really would enjoy seeing a Sandman issue zero out there, you know, that you could walk around with. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's what it really comes down to. It's like, what does Gaiman get out of this? Yeah, just I like unle- unless it is an exceptional amount of money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't understand why Neil Gaiman, why Neil Gaiman would say yes to this. Yeah, I really can't. So we'll see. I mean, it, that news but, is but not I, broken. I almost want it to be true just for the shit stirring quality. <laughs> oh, no, seriously. No, I'm laughing because I know you're serious. That's the thing that I'm like, oh, Graham. A, you shit stir, and B, sort of like, you're like those reporters in like His Girl Friday or something like that, where it's kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, odds three to one that that guy's going to be executed at midnight. No, 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 five to one. No, 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 even money, you know, that kind of thing. Thanks. Sort of like, well, let's see, that's what I'm saying. It's like, on the one hand, you are an incredibly human tender guy. And on the other hand, there's the part of you related to the business that is such the flinty-eyed professional that's like, yeah, let's see some shit, you know, that I kind of, I just, it's what makes you the complicated character that you are, Graham McMillan. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and on that bombshell. Indeed. We actually indeed. do have to the end, don't we? Because you've, you've yeah, run off. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Yes, indeed. Um, oh, next week will be a skip week. Oh, um, yeah, we were totally going to talk about this, weren't we? Uh, from yeah. now on, we're going to be doing uh, what's three weeks out of the month. Yeah, and or if it's a five-week month, four weeks out of yeah. five. Yeah, we're going to have a skip week every fourth week. Or so, um, yeah. The reason being, apparently Jeff Lester would like a life. <laughs> And also, the the other reason being, uh, if all goes to plan, it's going to happen on the same week I have to do the previews for Onomatopoeia for Comics Experience, and that would make a considerable difference to whether I can have a life. Exactly. Graham, as we all know, Graham McMillan is an, a nearly inhuman writing machine, but uh, for myself, between the editing and some of the various stuff that's coming up, uh, it sort of seems the last couple of months we've had one week off per month for whether that's illness, excuse me, illness or travel or what have you. And I think that it's it ended up actually being surprisingly uh, helpful to yeah my sanity and and living conditions. So as it turns out, for various reasons, that will be next week. But we will be back two weeks from now. Um, I'm sure to talk about a lot of the the, sh- the fallout from San Diego Comic-Con, uh, and hopefully both of us will be more a little more equivalent on the number of books that we've read and can gab about at, at length. <laughs> no, that, that we'll be back to the time where I'm not buying comics at all, and you're buying comics, and then you'll be like, this is- I bought these things. One week, we're both going to have to buy comics, so we can I know. have lots to talk about. I know, I know. Well, I mean, you know, we never fail to have lots to talk about. It just always ends up being a strangely sort of lopsided looking glass kind of type situation when we don't. So, you know, where it's like, well, Graham, tell me about the in-depth writing of your Batman article, which I enjoyed tremendously hearing about. But um, there are times when each of us have read 30 comics in a week that might might preclude that activity happening, I suppose. That makes sense. I really feel like I'm trying to <laughs> sell it, and all I'm doing is slagging us. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I kind of feel like I'm like, remember, if you like this podcast, you're wrong for doing so, but we'll make exactly. it up to you. Yeah, exactly. If you like this podcast, you've got no taste. But yeah. 
tune in next week. <laughs> Except, of course, tune in two weeks from now, dear listeners. Two. Indeed. Exactly. Bye. Okay. Fabulous. <laughs>